Need a quick hit of Marketing Smarts inspiration? Here it is. We have lifted portions of our Marketing Smarts episodes for those of you who need a quick jolt of marketing savviness right now. Refer to the description for how to find a longer form version. And with that, here it is. The second way to communicate effectively to influence is to plan your engagement like it is a pitch. April, I'll let you take this one. Sure. And pitching is a business term, just so we're all on the same page, for creating a short and concise rationale for why someone should choose you or choose to work with you, your company, all of those things. And I know Anne uses it a lot in the PR world when we're reaching out to media outlets that pitches, again, the reason why someone should choose you or choose to work with you. Also, for context, you see it on shows like Shark Tank, where businesses are trying to get money from the sharks in exchange for equity in their business. So regardless of the context, there's a framework that works well when you're communicating to effectively influence if you think about it as if it is a pitch. Mm -hmm. So number one, lead with who you are and your intended impact. So Anne just made the point about not having 10 slides that just talk about you talk at the viewer as you or same thing in your pitch, right? Don't start out all of it about you. Say very quickly so that they're oriented in why you're in the room or in the conversation Mm -hmm. or whatever, but then quickly get to what your impact will be if you work together, which is on their terms. Then you want to give the relevant context to reinforce the magnitude of the impact as well as why you're the best person to solve it. So you've already said, I'm X, This is what I'm going to do for you, and here's why I have the chops to be able to do it and why you should work with me. Then you can get into what you need from the recipient. And one of the ways that I always lead into this is you know your business better than I ever could because you're in it day to day. Therefore, we are going to need X, Y, and Z from you. Shall we continue the conversation? And that is a good point to, to do that because they've already heard why you should be the choice. And then you're saying also, though, I'm going to need your help and assistance because I can't know everything. And then finally, why is it of value to them? So what are they going to get from it? You know, what can they expect? This might be specifically to the person. Like we were always big fans of selling the client contact on why we could make them look good, take work off their plate, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It might be the organization at large. You know, we have experience in this field. Therefore, we have intel on whatever. You know, what is that tangible value that you're going to create for them? And this pitch should be very, very concise. So we are talking like three to five minutes or if it's in writing, a few concise paragraphs. Everything else will be reinforced or answered in the question and answer part, and that usually comes after. So you only get so much attention span from them, right, which is why it's so important to orient it from their perspective and only speak to things that are going to reinforce why you are the right choice given the situation or challenge or whatever, you know, phase they're in. So once you do that three to five minute pitch, you should absolutely be able to anticipate one that you'll have questions, but also what those questions might look like and then be ready with responses. And honestly, you get a lot better at this, well, both the pitch, but also the answering questions as you go, because you start to get the same types of questions over and over, which makes you a lot more comfortable in these types of situations and the ability to anticipate. But even so, you can't possibly cram into that three to five minute pitch 
every single thing that you are ever going to talk about with this client or every single need they could ever want or goal they want to achieve or anything like that. So be ready for the questions. Definitely don't try to overload your pitch which, with everything but the kitchen sink and everything you think that they're going to ask you. And then also, I always say, leave some softball questions, which these are the ones, you know, we're talking about pitches. We're talking about softballs. But <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway. Usually you give me the eye roll for that. I know. I know. It was very cheesy, but it's true. So these are like, if you think about a softball, right, you lob the ball. And these are the ones that are easy to identify, like how long is this going to take or who have you done this before or ones that are more low-hanging fruit where you can give additional context or fairly easy answers. And this will help you get more comfortable in those situations as well because your confidence will grow when you start to get some of these things that are easy because you are the professional at whatever it is you're offering, or we hope so. And so therefore, these are the types of questions that are easy to answer. And then lastly, it's important to consider timing, setting, familiarity with your audience and your message track when you're communicating to influence. It doesn't mean that you prep all this and then you wait for the exact right time when a client might need you or, you know, you wait if they do a a Super Bowl ad, you wait for the football season to come around. It's not that kind of waiting or looking for the right time because normally there isn't one, but you have to think about when you're engaging, what might they be going through? What phase or quarter of the business are they in? Or what might Mm -hmm. the challenges be? Or how crowded is the marketplace? Think in context of all the things that are going on in their world. And then prepare that talk track or that pitch to be able to respond to that. Because a client is going to shut down the minute you walk in that room, I promise, because I've been there so many times on so many teams. When you come in and you don't acknowledge the fact that they've obviously just run in from another meeting or you've caught them off guard approaching them at a cocktail party or you've emailed for the 45th time with Mm. no response, you know, you have to really think about what might be going on in their life because while your business is the most important thing to you, it's not the most important thing to them and it's probably not even in the top five or ten. Yeah, so you better make it one, right? Exactly. And that's and, and I think you made so many good points there. And the one that I just really want to really, really like call out here is being clear, concise, and to the point. Mm-hmm. Like it's so easy for us to try to anticipate everything that they're gonna want to know and then try to like cram it all in. And what happens a hundred percent of the time is you end up diluting mm-hmm. the Absolutely. whole message where then the person is so confused, they're like Either just like, okay, whatever, just, you know, either dismiss it because they have to think too hard or, um, you know, they're, it's like, what do you want from me again? Like, it's, it's just too hard. You don't want your, your, the recipient to have to think too hard. So being very clear, very direct and not being like the wishy-washy, like, I mean, it's really important to choose language that is very, very specific when you're, when you're doing this. And definitely resist the urge of just putting it all in there. It, it's just not going to be conducive to being able to create that interaction. Because if you do your job well, that starts the cascading questions and engagement. And, you know, we talked about that um, in, in multiple episodes about, you know, your quote unquote elevator pitch too. Like if you only had five minutes in an elevator, it's a slow moving elevator with somebody, what would you tell them? And how would you be able to say that in a way that is engaging and interesting that they'd say, I'd like, I'd like to know more. That is your objective here is that they want to know more. Um, so I think that's the part I really wanted to, to, to pull out of there. But I thought all of that was really, really highly valuable. Well, and I'll give another one that I say often on the show, which is 
stop talking. Yeah, just stop talking. <laughs> give give your spiel and stop talking. Yeah, let them respond. You even if there's a breath. A, yeah, even if there's a quiet minute or two, do not fill it. Just stop talking. Yeah, stop talking. Let them respond. I like that. All right. So the third part of how to communicate effectively to influence is to show you're invested in a shared outcome. And this really becomes about expressing from your own personal standpoint, whether it's through some stories or examples of work you've done for other people um, or your own personal vision of what motivates you. This is all about sharing those things in a way that shows that you are personally invested in what you are asking for in this influencing conversation. And really, really important here is to make sure that these are true. Authenticity is key here. So for example, I am gluten-free. I would never walk into a brewery and tell them how much I love the beer or how much I think this beer is amazing. (laughs) I can't drink it. (laughs) I mean, I just can't. So that would not be an authentic passion for me to share with them in, in a context of trying to get business. It. You know, they would see right through this as soon as they offered me a beer and I can't drink it, right? Um, but I, what I can say with a lot of passion with, and a lot of authenticity is I know how to help brands in a crowded space elevate themselves. That's what my passion is about. And that's how I can help them be able to create something within their business that truly is meaningful. All right. So be very careful about over expounding on certain things that are just not personally true. Also because you will get caught in your lie at some point. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember I was working on the Women's Tennis Association, and luckily I was very, very overt at the beginning that I had never played tennis before. Otherwise, I can tell you right now, it would have been like another two or three minutes, and I would have been (laughs) called out. Now, on the other side of that, I was enthusiastic to learn, especially to learn what I needed to know in order to fulfill the project. But it quickly became apparent to them that, one, I had enough adjacent experience, and two, I was there to do their brand architecture, which they had no idea how to do. So it worked out. But I just always think about that when I'm like, I could have gotten in so much trouble. Exactly. and But you could still show appreciation for the sport and what they're doing, right? Oh, yeah. So it's just on a different level. So I think that's a really great example. And I think you brought up a really good point because, you know, a lot of people won't want to do that because they're afraid, well, if I don't like it, they're not going to want me, Mm -hmm. right? One of my really good friends who was in an agency, she was gluten-free as well. She got a job in communications at Anheuser-Busch, right? You know, so, I mean, (laughs) they loved her because she was passionate about the work that she was going to go do Mm -hmm. and how that was going to help them. And it's because a lot of people, and if I go back to my Shark Tank example, and you'll hear this if you watch enough episodes, which I think I've seen 95% of them, but every once in a while I see one that I haven't seen before. <laughs> but that being said, you'll see a lot of them say, I invest in people. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a really good lesson across the board is if you are showing passion, if you are showing intent and in, in, in your desire to create impact, if you're showing a vision that you're creating for yourself and for the business as a whole or for the people as a whole that you're talking to, People, like, they like that. That's what forms the connections. Mm -hmm. That's what makes this relational. So regardless of the product or the service you might be pitching at that time or the actual, like, you know, thing that you want in that moment, regardless of what that is, and they might not actually want to buy that in that moment, they might choose to invest in you and be like, you know what, let's see where this goes. Mm -hmm. And then we'll see where, you know, we go with that. And that's a really, really important thing to understand, 
that it's not just about what that thing is in the moment. It's about also selling yourself. I talk about this a lot in personal brand. In order for people to be able to engage with you on a relational level so that when you guys come together, you create a more desirable impact or for both of you guys. And and that elevates whatever you guys are working on, both personally and from a business standpoint. Well, and I mean, we are relational people, right? And the the whole whole thing about that is that it's a two-sided situation, right? Right. So you need to learn from them just as much as they need to learn from you, which is why that model of agency saying we know best was never going to work. Because one, you can't know everything, but two, a relationship is based on the give and take and the back and forth. And so that mm-hmm. tennis example actually leveled the playing field significantly because I was honest that I didn't know really much of anything about tennis other than like what a ball and a racket look like in a court. Um, (laughs) I didn't even know there were different types of courts. I do now. Um, But they were able to educate me so that when I was building the brand architecture, I was able to infuse some of the language. And that made it much more reciprocal as a relationship versus me coming in thinking I knew it all. Yeah, that's interesting because that was also... um a interesting conversation I had when I was switching from my R&D world into my products research role. And my very first boss, who I still love to this day, Glenn Williams, when I did my interview, and there was a lot of other people who were interviewing for this role because it, it was a pretty prized communications role because it was a male grooming one. And um, me coming from you know an R&D world, I didn't know communications. Mm-hmm. But I was in male grooming R&D, right? Mm-hmm. And my boss yep. was... Um, New communications, fabulous in in that world, didn't know male grooming. And he looked at me and goes, wow, we're a match made in heaven. Mm -hmm. So I won that job ahead of everybody else um, who was actually better at communications than I was because I shared my passion for male grooming. And I knew how to reach that consumer. And I knew how to get them to engage. And I knew what they were looking for. And I knew how to – so all of that, like, experience and understanding and um, passion for this consumer was what led me to get that job, even though I had, like, very little communications experience. Mm. So Yeah, it's a good example. And I think also to, to that point, too, it's, it's part of the having these influencing conversations is making it very easy for them to say yes. Like we said before – you know, you don't want them to be thinking too hard, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why it's very important to have like that pitch and a format in order to address somebody, but also give them like an irresistible offer, right? So like if you're talking in the in the world of, you know, client services and that sort of thing, sometimes it's like a money back guarantee or, you know, um, you know something in that, that respect that kind of takes the risk out of it a little bit for them. But sometimes if it's like in the example I gave about like expanding your role, it could be like, let's try this for a couple months. If mm-hmm. you don't like it, we can go back. I mean, what's, what's it hurt to try a couple of months, you know, or I'll take all the responsibility for this. You won't have to think about a thing. I'm, I'm going to take this all on me in order to do this. So it's not going to be, you know, any anything on, on you that you're going to have to do, uh, deal with this. So these ideas of trial periods or test and learn periods, like we say when you're actually doing branding and marketing work and we highly suggest it is really, really beneficial way to make it easy for somebody to say yes when you're having these influencing conversations as well. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.